when you first got to varsity at Pickering, who was the first person to bust your butt? Or what was that welcome to varsity moment where you realized there was a whole different level of competition? Oh, man, when I got to varsity, I have to say, was, we had this guy, it's crazy because it was a guy on my team. His name was DeAnthony Smith, uh, defensive tackle, but he also played tight end. So that was a scary part about it. Uh, I came from a Vera offense where we just ran the ball, ran the ball. So at practice, you know, we're just like, they're not going to throw the ball, but he did a tight end dunk. And this man coming at the tight end dump, I think he was like 6'5", 280. I'm at free safety at the time. He comes at the tight end dump, and it was like a business decision that I had to make. But the crazy thing about it, DeAnthony Smith didn't let me get out the way. He made sure he found me. So when he found me and gave me a good run over, it was just like, you know, welcome. He picked me up, but he just, you know, he gave me that encouragement that, you know, you're going to be playing varsity, that nobody's going to be my size. But if you stay, if you can stay in front of me, you'll stay in front of anyone. So, Anthony Smith was uh, huge to me getting started with football, Louisiana Tech graduate and a Seahawks Super Bowl champion as well. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, all right welcome back to the newest uh episode six of the team player podcast man we're rocking and rolling we broke 150 listens i never thought i was hoping to say hey, get, get me to 10 but man it's really starting to take off it's been a lot of fun uh i'm i'm james kobaleski i'm your host and i'm joined today by earl westbrooks he is the defensive coordinator for the nimitz cougars up there in aldean isd they were a state qualifier this year for the playoffs and then we're going to talk about this was the first time I've ever seen a team get an, uh, a shutout win. Yeah, it was zero zero in overtime. <laughs> they yes. went into overtime zero zero. So I'm going to definitely ask coach about that. But if you're a part of this team player movement, please make sure you have given us a five star review. Y'all that is so important. If you give that review, that helps more people find this show so we can keep telling these stories of these coaches that are making a difference. Uh, make sure I like to hit the follow button and to subscribe for all my favorite podcasts. So, I get all the latest episodes in my queue. We would be honored if you would hit the follow button and get us in your queue and listen to team player podcasts as they come out each and every week. I know coach has told me he's listened to a couple of them. So we appreciate that. Yes, all right, sir. let's, let's get to know you coach. So we got Earl Westbrooks here. You grew up in Leesville, Louisiana. And yes. I looked that up on a map. Yes, <laughs> and I, see that as, I would describe it as West central Louisiana, but just tell us what was it like growing up in Leesville? Oh man, Leesville, Louisiana. That's that's home. That's home. Small, like you said, you looked it up on the map. Uh, we consider it as West Saint Law, Louisiana, right in between Alexandria and Lake Charles. Um, population five thousand people, so everyone knows everyone. There's three high schools in the city where we have Rose Pine High School, we have Pickering High School, and we have Leesville High School, where a radius of fifteen miles apart from each other. So you know, when I got when I got to Texas, a lot of people ask me like, "Where is Leesville?" So I always have to throw in there. Fort Polk, you know, Fort Polk is an army base that is located in Leesville where that's where they do the army training at. So um, if you enter the army, 
majority of the time you'll go do your training in Leesville. Uh, like I was telling everybody, uh, we know we everybody know everybody, so you can't do nothing, you know. But the good thing about it is if you're a good athlete in sports, everybody's gonna know you. Uh, a big name that came from my little town was uh, Cecil Collins. Cecil the Diesel. Cecil the Diesel, yes. He was a uh, Mr. Football. He leads the all-time rushing in Louisiana. Will sell like 7,000 yards uh, in his year of high school, career of high school. Um, he was a guy that went to LSU. Uh, we have another big name, Kevin Mawa. You know, he was the – Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Hall of Famer, I think. Sorry. Oh, yes. Hall of Famer. Uh, Yes, I used to uh, stay down the street from him, and he used to, uh, his family, his family had a house where um, privacy fence, all the kids growing up, like, what's back there, what's back there, huge swimming pool, everything, but he was the highest paid center when he went to the Jets, so uh, it's just a small town, and uh, like I said, it's, uh, I'm happy that I came from there, taught me a lot, and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it if I had to go back and do it all over again, Leesville, that's my city. That's awesome, man. Small world. You bring up Cecil, Cecil Diesel. His dad actually worked with my dad at a oh. correctional facility yes. in Sugarland, where I grew up. So that, that's a small world. I definitely, world. definitely remember him for yes, sure. Yes, sir. Okay, so you you know you, you you're growing up in Leesville, born and bred, and eventually you make it up to Pickering High School. That's one of the three high schools there that you mentioned, the home yes, of sir. the Red Devils. The Red Devil. yes, yeah, that, that that'll strike some fear uh, in your opponents, man. You you told me you played football basketball baseball and ran track so we talk about multi-sport athletes you took it to the extreme right not just three sports but four so yes, talk to us a little bit about that just talk to us about your experience playing all the sports at, at uh, pickering uh getting different coaching styles you know um i came from like i said i came from a small school so i want to just say active i was at a two-way school so for those that don't know that two-way school pickering louisiana um, I had about 502 kids enrollment, K through 12. So you had one side of the building started at kindergarten, and then it went all the way to fifth grade with another side of the building going from fifth and sixth with junior high connected with the high school. Mm. So uh, what people don't understand when they act like they see you so long playing sports, they're like, man, he's been there a long time. It's like Chris Winkie from Florida State, because, you know, some people start playing for dressing out for varsity in seventh grade, in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. So um, it was a very small school and we just tend to, I have a couple of friends that, you know, I still communicate with. We just tend to play all the sports. But the crazy thing about that is um, I was very good in basketball. I was all state in three sports, basketball, football, and track as well. But baseball, that was just a, the story about that was uh, I was told that you could get athlete of the year. I was trying to get athlete of the year around West Sinlaw. So okay. I was like, I'm going to play all sports. So a uh, story about that was uh, my father was at a game and my mother called. I was like, where are you at? She was like, sound like you had a baseball game. He was like, uh, our son out here playing baseball. She was like, he don't play no baseball. And uh, <laughs> they didn't even know. I just called my father and I was just like, you know, uh, I got a baseball game today. And that's when I was trying to win the award athlete right. of the year around West Central, which I did because I played every sport. Didn't play much in baseball because I was just a pinch, pitch runner. Until that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Until eventually I had to get out there and, uh, the first couple games, never didn't even know how to bat. I just stood at the plate like Ken Griffey Jr., you know, just kept on doing my bat <laughs> like this, kept doing my bat like this, yeah. and I'll swing and get made contact. And so eventually uh, we played a good school, uh, Kinder, Kinder Yellow Jackets. And a uh, pitcher went to Magnet State, Eubanks, threw a curveball, never seen a curveball. I just kept thinking the ball was going to hit me. Yeah. Uh, didn't work out too well for me, no more baseball. Just decided just to stay pitch running, didn't want to uh, get on a uh, pitch or didn't want to get on the mound or hit at all. 
But um, just playing, just very active. Just want to stay active. It was a small town. We had nothing to get into, nothing to do. Want to be with our friends. So, you know, if they were playing sport, we were playing sport. So that's how I was able just to play every sport because I didn't have a lot of friends that played every sport, but I had a friend in each sport. So I was like, hey, you play baseball? Like, all right, then we're going to be together. <laughs> you know, so I played baseball, ran track as well, football and basketball. So I meant, I imagine sprints in the track and track. Yes. Well, in track, I started a crazy thing. I started off in the 1600. I started off in the 1600 and I started off in the 800, just running, just running. No coach. I started off in seventh grade running track. Uh, eventually my mother was a sprinter. She was a sprinter and she was like, baby, uh, you know, I need to see you sprint, you know? So we used to race during the summer, you know, she used to beat me and I wanted to get faster. So, you know, that's where the training came into play. Uh, my junior year, I decided to get into the 400, ran the 400, did good, went to state in the 400, came in third place my senior year where I lost to uh, a guy named Demonte Willis that was at Homer that said went to University of Tennessee and then Joe McKnight brother, which was John McKnight. Mm -hmm. uh, I came in third in the 400. So I had the 400, the high jump, the four by one and the four by two. So in Louisiana, you're able to do four events. Um, I went to state for all four events at 07 which was big at our high school because I was the first person to go to state in all four of my events. So that was a good thing as well. But uh, started off long distance and uh, ended up to doing sprints and still, like I said, high jump as well. You said free safety and football. So I'm now left, I'm left to ask about basketball. I'm, I'm against point guard. Yes. Point there guard. I was, I'm like, and the crazy thing was I didn't even play football my freshman year of high school. I was strictly a basketball player. Like I was a basketball player, from the, the beginning of time, like to about five years old, basketball, basketball, basketball. And a uh, secondary coach, Coach Roger Atkins, who's a principal at uh, Leesville High School at the moment, came and knocked on my door, just told me, I want to see you at spring football. After the, my freshman year, he's like, I want to see you at spring football. And um, that's how I got on the football field. I liked him because he was my old basketball coach from fifth and sixth grade. But when he moved to the high school, he became the defensive secondary coach. So uh, he just came and got me out of class and the rest was history. You, you kind of beat me to the punch on this question because I know so many great athletes come out of Louisiana and you, you already mentioned some famous ones. I was going to ask you if there was any famous players. I mean, I know I'm a big Michigan football fan. I know yes. my, one of my favorite players, the A-Train, Anthony Thomas. Yes. He, he's yes. from Winfield, which I looked that up. That's only 90 minutes away from where you're from. And uh, small world, I coached his daughter, Alexia, when I was at Ridgepoint. So I remember, uh, I remember seeing A-Train in the stands at some of our girls' basketball games. But uh, uh, was there anyone else? What's that? Did you, get an auto, did you get an autograph? I did not get the autograph. I just, uh, you know, I, sh I, I would have now. I, at the yeah, time, I yeah. just wanted to let him be. But uh, looking at it now, I should have done that because I'm a yes, big so, fan. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so anyone else? I know you mentioned Mawai and Cecil the Diesel. But anybody, any other ones you wanted to throw in there? Uh, junior year playoffs, um, third, no, second round. Second round, we played Jonesboro High. Charles Scott. He was a Gatorade player of the year that year as well. Um, LSU commit. And uh, he went to the Philadelphia Eagles. And that was a uh, that was a big week because at the time, the running back that I played with, which is my best friend who stays in Las Vegas right now, Sonny Rosenberg, he was like, at the time, one of the all-time leaders in Louisiana. And you know, we, we were two-way school, Ironman football, veer offense. He got the ball like 30 times a game, 30 times a game, 200 yards. But we played against Charles Scott. So it reminds me, it brings me back to um, a story from uh, Friday Night Lights where the husband was, you know, he was watching film and the wife walks in and she's like, baby, the old boys are big, like Dallas Carter. And I remember our coach at school, we had uh, the database was Pelican Preps, which linked to Max Prep. 
and we were watching like well kids kids watching out huddle highlights we were right. watching rival highlights and uh they was putting Charles Scott highlights in and first play touchdown 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 and all our cheerleaders and school bodies just like that's who we're playing he's Gatorade player of the year he's going to LSU so uh we played him and we lost 19 to 20 which was a, a real good game they scored on the last minute and um, tie ball, the, they scored on the last minute. They were down by one. Instead of kicking the field goal and going overtime, they went for two. ISO up the middle, Charles Scott, obviously. He goes up, head up with our defensive tackle who went to Louisiana Tech, DeAnthony Smith. And uh, running back kept pushing his feet and ran through, scored, won the game. So uh, Charles Scott was a big person that I played against as well. That, um, and that was that was big. So who was your big rival? I mean, I, thought, I find it interesting. You got a small town of 1,500 with three high schools. So – Yes. Was there one in particular that was more rival than the other, or who was your big rival in high school? Rose Pine High School. Rose Pine High School. They were the Eagles. Because uh, we were both 2A, because you had, like I said, you had three high schools, but Leesville was considered 4A. I see. So, okay. And then, you know, so Rose Pine was in our district. And we always, you know, Leesville and Dorito was a big rival, so they play for a Hooper trophy. But us and uh, Rose Pine, we play for a trophy called the Jug. And um, it was a big, it was a big rival. And, you know, I was listening to, um, your podcast, so I want to say episode four, I think Coach O from uh, Aldine, I was listening right, to him. Yeah. Yep. yeah, he was talking about how, you know, you used to uh, egg the buses and all that. You can't do that <laughs> yeah. now, but uh, that was very big for us because there was a show out at that time around about 07. There was a show out called uh, High School Pranks on MTV. So the football players were watching it and we're just like, man, we're going to go to Rose Pond before we play them, egg the buses and everything. Uh, to the kids that's listening to everybody, community, anyone listening, bad idea. Uh, that was back in the that was you know that was a, something kids just did. Now you can't do that. You just got to settle it all on the football field. But um, that was a big rival. I in my four years playing against Rose Pine, I've never lost to him. So uh, that was a good thing. You know, I can always talk about that when I go back home. You know, I can hold that on my waist that we never lost to Rose Pine. Oh, that's awesome! And shout out to Earl Westbrooks listening to the whole catalog. Yes. You are you are you're the you are the realest two dream uh, true team player we got out. That is awesome. You're the first guest. You're the first one to reference another episode. So you have I'm forever gonna yeah. ride with you, man. I, <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. So now we're moving on to college. So obviously you had a stellar career uh, at Pickering, playing all the sports, all state and three of them, and you end up you end up uh, crossing the border over to yes. our side. You know, going up, coming over to Texas, uh, East Texas Baptist University in Marshall. I know this, this school very well. I, they were in our conference. So I, I went to Austin College up in Sherman. So we played we played four times in football. I was there 02 to 05. Okay. I, I had to go verify. I went, I dusted off the old stat books. And I'm talking old because this was 02 to 05. We did <laughs> yeah. win one. So my memory was yeah. correct. So in 04, Austin College came into Marshall and we stole a 15 to 11 victory in the rain. Uh, good, so good. I could, uh this is what I remember, uh, Earl, about ETBU. I just re always remember great running backs. That, that's what I recall. Yeah, it's always, just a, you know, a single back kind of offense at the time from what I remember and just a great running back. But just talk to me about your experience playing football for East Texas Baptist. Uh, East Texas Baptist, it opened my eyes a lot. It opened my eyes a lot as far as um, as far as far a, a good athlete, hometown athlete coming into, you know, all state this and that. I had offers. I had an offer from a – Nickel State and Southeastern that I didn't take right away. I waited because at that time, you know, Louisiana kid was all waiting for LSU. Mm -hmm. uh, ended up at ETBU. So the mindset that I came in with was uh, D3. I should start right away. You know, I was the hometown hero. I was this and that. And uh, it opened up my eyes because it was a lot of cats that could play. 
There were cats that were fans that I couldn't believe. There were people from all around the world. You know, we had people from Washington, New York, Houston, and this one, I'm looking like, wow. So my first year, I struggled with injuries. I struggled with injury. I had a tore shoulder my first year. You know, second year, I was just trying to make the uh, travel roster. Then yeah. end up making the travel roster, end up making the round of rotation in the depth chart as far as in the secondary. But um, okay. as you would say, running back, uh, our starting running back, he had won three state titles at Katie. He was J.R. Stover. So he was our starting What years back. were you there, Coach? Uh, I was there from 08 to 12. Okay. I was there. So I played Austin. I played Austin one time in uh, 2011, and uh, it was 54 to 17. We, yeah, we, yeah, we, that's we, what I'm saying. No, y'all, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, I look back <laughs> at it. We played you four times. We only won yes. one, and it was we stole it. We we just yes. we just played our best game. When you probably played your worst, and <laughs> we got yeah. out of there because. Uh, but now ETB was great, and I, I guess I I didn't realize you were an all state basketball player in high school. So I guess I just assumed you just played football at ETBU. But did you did you play basketball as well? Or no, I went I went at first at basketball. I went at first at basketball, and um, I tried to split both times. And uh, at the time, it just it just. It wasn't like high school. It wasn't like high school. It was a decision that I had to make from, you know, the head coach, Mark Sartain, and my head coach that retired from ETBU West, that uh, it was going to be hard to do both because basketball in high school is, you know, you come into the season, it's just basketball as well. So, you know, in college, basketball is all year round. You know, when the season over, you have shoot arounds at this time, you still have to come do this and do that. Um, I went on my visit at ETBU for basketball first. You know, so it was open gym. ETBU might have, I went in 08. So I want to say ETBU had just won a ring the year before in basketball. And uh, it was the head coach. He was from Zawali, Louisiana, which is not far uh, at the time. Like I said, he's retired. The assistant uh, assistant coach is now the head coach who recruited me. He uh, Coach Prather for basketball. He's the head coach at Millsap College right now. Okay. So I went in for basketball, you know, that's what got everything started. As far as all my paperwork, all my communication, everything went through basketball first. As I got there, I found that, that you know, there were other athletes that played basketball and football, uh, older athletes at that. You know, there were seniors already, but during my time at Pickering High School, the defensive coordinator who was from Louisville, Texas, Coach Chancellor, he came and talked to me about football before so I already had it in my mind okay then they talked to me about basketball and they already talked about football so you know let's see if I could go do both whatever so uh and um I had to pick and at that time I had fully you know got the love of the game of football so I was just it was just easy for me to go with football you know dealing with the grind the off season you know I was just in love with football so that's what I wanted to do and you know you brought up a great point coach so for any parents or young athletes hopefully that are listening to this podcast I love the point you brought up about you were an all-state player from a small town. So you thought, hey, I'm all-state in three sports. I'm going to walk right into D3. And your eyes were open. And I, mine was similar, not the same. I came from a big – I came from a 5A, you know, at the time. Now it would be called 6A school uh, yeah. in Austin High School is where I graduated from. And I was all-district. And so I wasn't quite all-state like you, but I was all-district at a big school. And so I thought, D3, man, this is – I'm, I'm going to walk right in here, you know. And it – you know, I got in the road, just like you, I got in the rotation my first year. It wasn't until I was a junior that I actually solidified a starting spot. And, you know, it, yeah. it really opened my eyes. So this is when I'm sure you'll probably agree with the sentiment. You may talk about it if you want to at some point in the show. But sometimes I think we see kids and parents so hung up on the scholarship, right, and, and get yes, that scholarship. Right. And, you know, D3, for the, you know, is, is a non-scholarship, non-scholarship athletics. But I, I just – I don't want anybody to, to just – to, to look down on D3 athletics or, or look down on NAI opportunities, just that and the other, because it's still great 
athletics, right? Do you want to speak to that a, a little bit more? Yes. I love that point you made. It's, it's, it's great talent at the uh, D3 level, like I said, and then they're upcoming. Like it's a lot of D3s that some of them are trying to give partial scholarship. Last time I checked, Louisiana College was given athletic scholarships. Uh, for people that don't know, the uh, Coach Super Bowl wide receiver MVP Pierre Garçon was a D3 athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, you know, it teaches you the value of life as far as at the end of the day is D3 in sports, but the education you get, I, I will, I will say that education is not a D3 education, you know, private school education is one of the, the best educations that you can ever have. And I'm blessed to have an education as that well. Um, just being in the home feeling, like I said, it was, I didn't come into a lot of class that had hundreds of students felt just like high school. So it wasn't no problem for me. Cause like I'm telling you, I came from a high school with 500 people. Right. So, you know, D3, I'm thinking like, man, I'm I'm at LSU. I'm looking around like, wow, this is LSU. This is Miami. Like I got Chick-fil-A in my cafeteria, you know? So, uh, but the athletes, man, um, they do the same thing, you know, because they have a goal and, you know, you should have a goal there and they have a goal to, you know, make it to the NFL from D3. They have a goal to transfer from D3. So they're not just coming in there just because they're playing football. Like it still be a goal to be done. And as well as the coaching staff, now that I'm a coach, I realized that my coaches, you know, they were trying to get somewhere. Like I said, my DC is now a coach at University of, you know, Alabama, Birmingham, Randy mm-hmm. Pippins. So, you know, my defense, my cornerback uh, coach was Sam Brandon. He was a starting safety for the Broncos. So, you know, you had you had some good coaches there, you know, and they was what was the model? They was trying to get to the next level. So, when you got those type of people that's hunger hungry and every time that that's going to be, you know, for great success as well. So, um, like I said, college, college period, you know, to, to the parents, to the players, I suggest college period, whether it's JUCO, you know, whether it's online, like college is something important that you have to have. So, uh, yeah, D3, D2, D1, you know, I feel like I still could have played with it, all of them, which I know I could have. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned also when you're talking to me, and I, I can tell you love ETBU, you know, you're just yeah. bleeding blue and gold, you know, and uh but you mentioned that you, the, the facilities there and then the, the connection of Marshall, the town. Yes. You want to speak to a little bit more to that about that community feel that you felt like you developed in Marshall, Texas? Man, Marshall, Texas, man, it was, uh, it was beautiful for me. It was beautiful for me. Like I said, Marshall, Texas, uh, 23,000 people. It's 23,000 people. Remind you, if I said earlier, I came from a city, 5,000. I won't even call it a city. I came from a town with 5,000. The nearest mall was an hour, hour and a half, Alexandra Lake Charles. So I had to drive to a mall. So now I'm in Marshall, Texas, where I have a mall 15 minutes down the street. And it was just like it was it was, you know, it was big. I'm not I'm used to seeing one way roads. You know, I see now I got more lanes. I got turning lanes. I got cameras on the, the street lights. Like I'm like, where am I at? And uh, a great experience I had in the community was uh, Wally College. Wally College was right, you know, right by ETBU. It was just across it for the people that stays in Houston. The distance between Houston and TSU, it was shorter than that. Mm. So uh, they did the movie Great Debates at uh, Wiley College. And, you know, Denzel came down there. So when they did the movie and everything, they had a movie theater and they just showed Great Debates and they put it in every movie. They put it in every movie. They rolled out the red carpet and I was able. And now that I talk about autograph, I'm mad I didn't get Denzel autograph because I was able to watch Denzel out oh, yeah. the red carpet and, you know, going to the movie theater where the great debates true story happened at Wiley College, which is in Marshall, Texas. Uh, that was just, that's something I would never forget in Marshall, Texas at all. You know, we, I know you, you listen to the show, so you, you probably have heard this, that we are now five for five 
on team pe- team player podcast alumni. And I'm a, I'm a gambling, I'm a betting man. I, I like to, I like to, you know, I do like to wager on things. I'm going to bet that you are going to break this streak, but for listeners that are like you that have listened to the whole catalog, we are now five for five. Yes. Team player podcast guests that did not enter college thinking they were going to coach. Now you came, you came in here rattling off all these names from all over Louisiana. So you, you strike me as the kind of guy that you came out of the womb with a whistle around your neck, but you, you tell me when you entered ETBU, did you know you were going to coach or were you majoring in something else? When I entered ETBU, I knew I was going to coach. Hey, there it is. So we got a I team player first. Yes, <laughs> I knew first I was going to coach. Yes, I went yeah. to, uh, I came I came in early, uh, dealing with the football, came in early. Uh, I went into kinesiology with an education. And um, my advisor, Randy Pringle, was just telling me how everything was going to go. But uh, I just love, I just love the sports. And like I said, uh, the biggest, the people that besides my, you know, my mother and my father, who had the most impact on my life was coaches. You know, like uh, I've always heard when you go to different coaching clinics, they say, you know, how many teachers do you remember? But how many coaches do you remember? And like, um, I remember all my coaches. I still conversate with my coaches and it was just so big. And the thing was, I didn't know when I was going to coach, but I knew eventually I wanted to coach. So I'm like, while I'm here, you know, let me do this. And it was, it was a big, it was a hard push between that and criminal justice, just because that's the only thing my mother kept on TV was law and order. So I was like, okay. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to do that. But uh, I got there and uh, started with kinesiology and education. Very cool. And my, like I mentioned before, my dad was a correctional officer, so I can definitely relate to yes. that as well. Um, but there we go. We got a first. And, and yes. the beautiful thing, yeah, <laughs> coach. <laughs> the beautiful oh. thing is, though. Go ahead, coach. No, 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 you're okay. You're okay. I was saying the beautiful thing is for anyone listening, it doesn't matter what your background is. Like all six of my guests so far are all been recognized for various awards and they're great leaders of the community. But like whether you're you're like Coach Westbrooks, who you've known this from day one, or whether you're someone that found out in college, you can still do it. And it doesn't even have to be college. Someone listening to this show might be closer to my age and they just may get that itch, like, hey, I want to go impact kids. So I, I encourage you. And I, I just love seeing that. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, so on the Team Player Podcast, we don't talk a lot of X's and O's per se. We don't get into that. It's not That's not what this show is about. This isn't an X and O show. This is more about telling stories and, and just getting to hear, hear, hear the backgrounds of, of various coaches in our community. But when I watched y'all at Nimitz, it, it just I, – I loved it so much because it reminded me a lot of when I was D.C. at Ridgepoint, kind of the, the style that we did. And I, I love this, the boxing saying that styles make fights. And so I just remember when I was D.C. at Ridgepoint, the, the players knew – what kind of style of defense that we were playing. And they, it built kind of an identity, you know, where we knew how we were playing and what we were trying to accomplish. And I, I really enjoyed that, but I would love to hear your, what you would say your, the, the, the style is of, of your defense. Um, so defense period, uh, anyone, I think any coach, any coach that has coached with me, uh, all the coaches on the Nimitz coaching staff, I am big, 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 huge on defense. Uh, all about defense, you know, and uh, my biggest thing is uh, physical and aggressive. Like I, I preach that every day, you know, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I didn't get to see all the older defenses, but, you know, from my generation, I'm big on, and it's crazy because it was a college team and an NFL team, both in the same years that I, I you know, I watched them all off season. So in 01, in 01, you got the Ravens defense and you got the Miami Hurricanes defense. Those two defense right there, those are like, those are the blueprint to my life of coaching. Those are the blueprint that I look at. You know, they're very aggressive. You know, it takes 11 of them, get to the ball physical. And then in 03, 
you had the Tampa Bay defense with the uh, LSU. LSU, I want to say Nick Saban year. We had Corey Webster at the cornerback. And uh, he had just – it was just – the defense, the way they that they rallied to the ball, the way that there was aggressive physical, I felt like that's that's where you win at. And you know, um, I preach hard about. Uh, I have a saying on defense: uh, we're the debt collectors, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "What's the debt collector?" So the debt collectors are um, we're you know we're a group of people that a group of eleven on defense that you know we have to go collect a debt. Just like if you have a debt collector that's calling your phone, you know they have to collect a debt. So we collect that with uh, a hard hit, fumble recover interception and you know the kids they they rally to that because i have a turnover check i have like a check we have a big old check and has nemesis and that's where the debt you know the debt collector net with the briefcase and you know suitcase and tie so i preach that so everybody wants to get that check but uh you know when i tell them that week you know such and such team is on the clock and this person owe us something then we're a debt collector you have to go collect you know we're going to keep on you know we're going to keep on nagging aggressive physical every time win one win one, win one every play, every down. We're going to win one because, you know, we got to go collect. So I'm, I'm I'm big on that and just just aggressive and physical. And like I said, um, my kids are a link of me, and I preach that every day. And uh, it's just great when you get it out of them when you see it, man. It's really good. I, I love that, Coach. And, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say the turnover chain is played out or anything, but, I mean, it's, it's definitely been done a lot. So I've never heard of the check, and I yes, love yes. that. Yes, go sir. get that catch that check you know and Cash it, that i love that so, hey, coach is listening that's a great idea i love the briefcase and the tie I mean, yes. that, that, that is awesome man like yes, you know and it's all about and i can i know your kids gotta love that you know we did we, when i was at rich point we we uh we would always identify the top player from the other team always identify okay. them i get their picture off max preps whatever and i print it out and we put it in our defensive locker room so we had like a row mm-hmm. <laughs> of all these yes. dudes and so our guys knew them by name when they came into that game and they were ready you know, to, to talk to them and say, Hey, not tonight. <laughs> and every time that was our focus was we're going to, we're going to shut this guy down and, and hold them below their average. And every time we did, we go in our locker room, cross them off our list. Right. Oh, wow. So that was, that's some fun stuff like that, man. Another thing we did, we did a, uh, a championship belt, like a WWF belt yes. each week, the player of the week coaches would decide I would walk into their classroom, surprise them in class, present them the championship belt. And then I would, uh, I had a photo of them that I, that I had created. And I'd write a letter on the back of it, like handwritten telling how much it oh, means to the defense so oh. you know those are just fun that? things can i use that take it yeah take oh, it man okay okay you heard that guys he said yeah. I can use it. yep <laughs> I yep so that. yeah the, 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 like you talked when, when i talked to you before you came on the show like that's what i love about this podcast right it's just coaches yes. like us we can just chop it up in an informal setting relaxed and just share you know yes, so right. i hope coaches listening they may take a thing or two from this but that's awesome but now Okay, let me, I got to ask you, man, what was it? You, you coach of my good friend, Rich Slater. So me and Rich, we came in together. We're both hired that say we were the two new kids on the block. Rich Slater is a much better coach than I am. So he well outlasted <laughs> what I was able to put together. Um, we came in the same year. He's a great guy. Um, just, I got to tell one story though. I got to give one piece of bragging rights. And you, this was not you when you were there, but my first year at Aldean, we did steal one just like we did against East Texas Baptist. Yes. We stole one against Nimitz. And that first year, they made the playoffs. They ended up beating MacArthur the next week, and they made the playoffs. But we stole one again in the rain. We played a great game. Uh, you, you probably heard about this on, the, on Ojeda's episode last week, but we kind of just hung in there, hung in there, hung in there, didn't turn the ball over. And at the end of the game, Nimitz driving, my star safe, star two-way player, Andrew Davis, intercepts in the end zone, ball game. 
but that's the only one bragging right I can hold over Rich Slater because yes. the next year he they they totally took care of business again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, one funny thing, you know, Rich Slater's family—they all they all live up in Montana, and I know okay. when we do our games for Vibe, they're always listening. Rich tells me, so I give him shout outs on the show. But just after reminiscing about that, just tell me what, what was it like working with Rich Slater? Oh man, I, man, that's my guy. Like I said, he's a mentor to me. Uh, he's taught me so much. He's taught me a lot. Uh, you know, every every day we go out to practice, he had a plan. So uh, that's what I liked about it. He was very detailed about his practice plans. And uh, when it when and what he taught me was uh, every coach should keep a every coach should keep their practice script. If I take time out to run paper and put it on your desk, you need to have it out there. And every coach should have a pen. And it'll be some days he'll overhear me saying, "Coach, you got a pen," and he'll look. He'll take his shades down. Westbrook, what type of coach are you? And, uh, <laughs> but like I said, I've talked, I talked to Coach Slater. Um, he's 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 big. He just made an impact on my coaching career. Um, I can honestly say that I talked to Coach Slater two to three times a week, still to today. Wow. I still talk to him every day. Um, talked to him yesterday. Last week he was in Montana. He just got back from Montana. So uh, like you said, um, he's always, you know, his family's always watching it. So uh, I get to sit there and talk, you know, talk to his family as well when they call and just be like, oh, man, that defense, you know, y'all didn't let them score because they talked about the, uh, you know, they talked about the MacArthur game. And uh, oh, we're going to talk about that. that yeah, I, I, that's yeah. on my list. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this year is crazy that you say you do the games and uh, they listen in Montana. Well, um, they were uh, showing the game as well. So they were, you know, they were watching the game from Montana and we're playing Aldine this year. And um you know, all Dean's, uh, they're doing good, you know, um, program is doing well as also. So, you know, they're, they're running the ball, you know, time is ticking, time is ticking. Our kids are just getting lazy. Like, you know, so as they're running the ball, you know, Slayer's yelling at me, just telling Corey needs to be in the box. He's not flat foot and read and tell him to stop backpedaling out. So he's just yelling at me. He's yelling. Corey is just, you know, he's not, he's not backpedaling out. He's just, he's just trying to get in there. Just trying to get in and make the big hit. And, uh, you know, I get so mad. And I just throw the clipboard down, just throw it down. And uh, we end up talking to the uh, Corey, and after that, Corey corrected. But it was funny because Coach Slater, a brother, was watching the game and was like, uh, when Westbrook threw that clipboard down, he needs to do it at the beginning of the game. Because after that, you know, we just went at it. But uh, Coach yeah. Slater, that's, 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 that's my guy, man. I, I yeah. love coaching with him. I love coaching with him. You know, it's funny you're talking about some of those little things, like continuing, even in a, in a game where, you know, you were pulling ahead, right? So maybe Corey started freelancing a little bit. You're, yes. You guys, as a staff, are still – coaching the fundamentals and right. i noticed that. that's one thing i wanted to say like watching your defense that i really liked your the depth and alignment of your defensive backs i just yeah. noticed every single time like they are at the perfect depth they're perfectly aligning to the formation when they go into trips and i mean just think little things like that i pick up on like the kids are not they're not like uh freelancing at all like i can tell like they're, ex, they're, they're even in their pre-stance uh you know pre-snap stance like it's the technique you taught you can it's yes, very sorry. visible like it just yes, looks sorry. so uniform is what I always thought like just look at these guys like and so you're the kind of team they nobody can really formation you you know what I mean like because you yes, you're, you adjust so well so I I always think that's a mark of a great defensive coordinator and this is why I was so happy when Kendra recommended you whenever a team is always aligned properly that's just such a big first step and I just I just I know you're 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 repping that at practice and so just Kudos to you. I don't know if you want to speak to anything about the way that you prepare, you know, formation recognition yes. wise. Uh, it's uh, it won't, uh, something that I preach a lot. I preach a lot that the kids know if I come out there, I tell them have good art, have good art. So, you know, I have a shirt with a uh, paintbrushes art 
And the art stands for, you know, alignments, responsibility, technique. Preach that all the time. That is the number one battle. When I got here, I, this is my this is my second year at NIM. So the year I came was COVID year. So the year I came with Slater, um, he showed me film previous and uh, Nimitz, by far a good team. The problem, like you said, half of the battle was I pressed play on huddle and the ball is hiking. They're not lined up. And that was so big. And, you know, that that comes in when that comes in from if I could talk to any coaches that comes in from the offseason training as far as it's something that we do every day, every day. And sometimes we know the kids get bored. But deep down inside, yes, the coaches were bored too. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this every day. During the summer, I did, during the spring and the summer, I did the same thing every day. I had my indie time and it consists of the same thing, but foreign tackling, alignments, responsibility, and technique from spring the whole entire summer. That it became sometimes in the summer that kids were like, man, if I come up there, I know I got to work out and do the same thing. Like, when are we going to play seven on seven? So I did it so much that, it translated into the season so uh that was big like you said the alignments like uh I'm looking for my corners to be six to seven yards you know looking to be outside leverage I'm looking for my safeties to be 10 to 12 if they're in the box I'm looking them to be eight yards and you know I tell them you know you got to look at each other look at each other because sometimes when you look at if y'all on the same LOS you know you should I mean on the same line Mm -hmm. it should be you know LOD I call it levels of D we should never be on the same line so you know Corey Huff a look and uh you know You'll hear me say Corey Huff a lot. You know, he's oh, a yeah. big part. Talk about him. <laughs> yeah, he's a big part that tells them that, you know, if he's sitting back there, he'll tell the corner, you know, as far as like get back. Or if he knows that he knows he watches a lot of film that he knows that a running play come. So he'll get become the eight yard safety that's in the box. He'll get up, tell the corner, you know, get up a little. They're gonna do a slant right there, just fulfill. So uh, like I said, the alignment is big, but uh uh I'll be, you know, I'll be wrong if I told you that I don't look at that every play. After the game, that's what I'm looking. That's the first thing. I won't watch film the next day, but that night after the game, I'll just click through, clip through, just looking at lines. They was lined up. They was lined up. And that's all I do the first night. So uh, alignments is big. Keep it going, coach. Just keep it up as you get up further in your career. Don't let it slack as you get older and older. You know what I mean? Because like like I said, I noticed it immediately. It's one thing that stood out to me. Your linebackers also mirror images of each other. I like the stance of your D-line. Again, they're yes. they, they are all three of them which i'm gonna talk with those dudes those are my those are my guys yes they're all executing the stance exactly i can tell it's been coached it's not it's not like a free it's a specific it's a certain kind of stance i'll let you describe in a bit but you know i just noticed all those kinds of things so kudos to you and you know just keep that up but now talking about my guys here when i what stood out to me starting off is those 3d linemen okay first of course you got christian booker shout out christian booker a hooper and I know yeah. you're a big basketball guy. You played, I didn't know you were all state, and, and, but uh, surely I also broadcasted his basketball games. And Booker for, for Coach Rideau, Booker wasn't a guy that's just a football guy, you know, yeah. that's come in for a minute or two. Booker played meaningful minutes and he could hold his own. So just let's start with him. Can you just talk to me a little bit about Christian Booker? Man, Christian Booker, he is, uh, I don't think he missed a practice this whole entire year. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Um what I've learned at uh, Baylor, from Baylor, what they do is uh, they look for character. So one thing I can say about that, a prime example is Christian Booker. He's probably him. He's one of the most character players on our team. You know, he's he's a positive attitude. You know, uh, he wants to get better. He asks questions. He never go against the defense. You know, because like I said, you know, I'm a slant defense. You know, line up in five techniques, both our ends, and line head up at the nose. We either slant left or we slant right. 
but you know we have to slant and we have to hold that we don't want them to go up the los so they'll see the ball coming across and i'm just telling them build a wall i understand you want to be able to just you know just come off i know you just want to come off and just bulldoze them and you looking like coach the jet is coming but i'm just saying play your responsibility that your outside backer is about to feel that as far as you know so but uh and a lot of people like i said they could get discouraged about that like but he uh he didn't do that never had a problem never had a never had a you know a disagreement with him it's just that he was a flat-out athlete and uh it was so good when i put him on the scout team if i was to put him on scout team you know he could play any position coach when I tell you uh, one time at the scout team, we had him at a outside linebacker. He was dropping in coverage. He was like, Absolutely. I'm just like, man, middle linebacker. Like he can play any position. He's a fast kid. He's a strong kid. Very smart kid. 3.8 GPA. So uh, he's a kid you, you want on your team. He's a kid. Great kid. And coach, you know, some of those terms, I, I mean, they can't see us here on, on this audio broadcast. But I was pumping my fist when he said build yeah. a wall. Because, yes. I, again, I could tell the way the style you're playing, that was similar to what we did. Build a wall was in our vocabulary. And it, it takes a little bit. It take, it's team play. Yes, you, you're it not, it's not about you going to make the tackle. It's you doing your job. I also love the thing you said about outside linebacker and them knowing who's going to make the play. Yes, I want to give yes. a shout-out to Elliot Allen. Uh, he, was, he was head coach AD at Brenham. Or he's at Stratford for a long time when I was coaching. Then he went to Brenham. And I know he's – I think he's moved on to an AD position somewhere, somewhere in Central Texas. But um, – when he was at Stratford, we were in district with them. We were coming up the ranks at Ridgepoint, still kind of a new program, trying to find our identity. We're in district. I went out to a clinic at Port Arthur Memorial High School one like Thursday night after track practice. Me and my boy, Derek Ruthart, the offensive coordinator at Clements. We drove all the way to Port Arthur on a Thursday night, one of those GHFCA coaching clinics. Mm-hmm. Coach Allen's defensive staff was hosting it. Okay. The only coaches that made that trip was the Port Arthur Memorial coaches who were hosting, Coach Allen's staff who's presenting, and me and Derek Ruthart. Yes. We were the only ones that showed up on this Thursday night. <laughs> and Coach Westbrooks, I'm going to tell you, th- this to me is the mark of the kind of person and coach that Elliot Allen is. He shared everything. We're going to play him next year. He shared everything. Yes. And we ran with it. And I always thank Elliot Allen for the success at Ridgepoint that we had and, con- and continues on, you know, and You'll see that same style of defense played at Seven Lakes now where Jimmy Hammond's the head coach. He was with me at Ridgepoint. You, you'll see that same type of defense. And I'm sure some of yours, is, it's, it's very similar to yours, but I'm sure there are some differences. But just to shout that out as a, for our coaching community, to not, not, not be secretive, just, just helping and, and learning. And that's what this podcast is about. We're sharing. Last thing I'll say on that, we could talk about this maybe more when we get off the, off the air. I don't want too, too much X's and O's, but I remember going to watch Stratford play uh, at NRG with my brother, and I could see they were making hand signals behind their back the outside mm-hmm. linebackers. Mm-hmm. I later came to learn they're communicating to the safety, the fit that they're supposed to, you know, and we yes. took that. And again, cause so many times you talk about those levels of defense, we would have a safety run in kind of into the back of an outside linebacker and we'd miss a play. And so that hand signal was, was the outside backer and the safety communicating if they're boxing or spilling essentially. So we won't go too much into depth on that, but like just little things you pick up from everybody. And I, I, I love your style of defense, Coach. So I, yeah. I was already geeked up about it when I'm broadcasting it this year. And it's so cool <laughs> thank to, you, thank to, you to talk to you. But let's keep it moving. We all know a nose guard is important in a three-four defense, and I, I got to watch a treat when you played MacArthur. It was you, your guy, Elijah Sims, who's a total stud. And then uh, he was your use your nose, right? Or was yes, nose. Yeah, yeah. So Elijah was playing nose, and then Xavier Starks from MacArthur was the other nose, and and they were both just making yeah. plays all day. So talking about Elijah, I mean, he's just such a playmaker. I mean, what, what, what can you describe about Elijah Sims? 
uh, Elijah Sims. Uh, so I, when I was telling you about Booker being a character kid, Elijah Sims is by, and, and we have these arguments because, you know, sometimes Booker get a little jealous of Elijah, but Elijah is the number one character player on my defense. Uh, number one character player on my defense. Uh, two years in a row, he has a position. We let him know because the thing about it is we don't rotate a lot of schools. And I'm trying to learn that part. A lot of schools rotate the entire line. You know, we don't that nose guard like sometimes, you know, Booker could go, you know, he'll go from side to side or Booker could go out and we'll try to, you know, bring in another one that we're bringing up the nose guard position this entire season. Sims never came out two years in a row. This entire season, he never came out, whether we were down by 30 or 40 against Tom Ball Memorial. Like we don't have another nose guard like he because because he plays the position, the nose guard. It's not nothing the way we teach it. It's not nothing. And if you do come in and get on it junior year, then we're excited. But that nose guard position is something that has to be learned from ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Because like I said, you're taking on a double team every time. You know, you have to be able to extend your arms. You have to be able to get skinny, turn. You know, it's just certain techniques that you have to be able to do. And like I said, from the somebody looking outside, they're looking like, man, he's either slant A or he's easy slant left, slant right. That's all they're looking at. But they're not looking at like when he has to take on the double team or what coming at him. But uh, he's the uh, he's the man in the middle, man. He gets everything going. He makes Booker go hard because my D line coach. Shout out to my D line coach Kevin Jackson, who is Absolutely. phenomenal. He's yeah. uh, he's a Texas Tech graduate. Um, my first year there, he was just coaching Elijah Sims by himself, and the ends were coached by um, Coach uh, Gans. Shout out to coach. Team. Shout out to coach Slater for setting it up like that. I've that yes. I don't think I've ever heard of that, but I love it. Yes, and maybe Katie yes. does that. Maybe he got that from Katie. But like where I've yes. been, we've never had that kind of resources. Like number, but like I love that he set that up. And obviously, yes. it was I shouldn't great. say it we never great. had the resources. Coach Slater was smart enough to figure out how to allocate his staff to get it done. But it's such an important position. It's that, important. That's, that's exactly. very cool as you shared that. Yeah. Very, so very when cool. he had that, when he uh. Coach uh, Jackson just had, you know, he had um, Elijah by himself. And the biggest thing was, you know, Coach Slater was a defensive line coach. So that was a scary thing for Coach Jackson and Coach Gans because, you know, when we were in meetings or whatever, I knew he was going to get on me, but I knew he was going to give it to them. Like, you know, he'd be like, ah, you know, I could get away with a little stuff. I'd be like, Coach, well, they did this and did that. And he'll look at me and be like, all right. But the D-line, they couldn't get away with nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so – I used to always crack jokes on Jackson. I used to be like, oh, uh, you got an off day today? But Sims always came to practice. I was like, he had right. one player, you know. But when Gans took a promotion, he went to Summer Creek. When he went to Summer Creek, we was like, okay, we're going to have to come. We're going to have to get a hire a coach. You know, me and Slater came together and was like, we're going to have to hire a coach that could coach the ends. Well, uh, you know, one thing I knew about Slater and I liked about Slater that, you know, whatever he said or wanted, you know, he was going to stick to it. It was, it was rarely that you could change his decision. So, you know, I came to him, it was getting towards the, uh, getting towards the beginning of the year coming. And I was like, you know, uh, coach, you know, tell me how you feel about this, but I would like Jackson to coach all three of them. Reason why, because he already built that relationship with Elijah Sims mm -hmm. and he coached mm -hmm. him for many years. And Elijah was actually the coach on the field. Like Elijah, you know, he would do whatever he has to do. It was times in the spring that, uh, you know, some people needed a bus driver and our D-line coach has to drive the bus. Jackson would drive the bus. And as I'm doing the defense, you know, individual with the secondary outside linebacker, I look across the field and Elijah Sims is doing 
all his indie by itself techniques and everything. So, uh, you know, Coach Jackson this past year coached all three of them. And, uh, it, it you know, it was a good relationship. You know, Booker understood and knew how close that Jackson was to Elijah. So Booker tried to come out every day and make plays to, you know, get on Jackson's side, which he made plays. And he used to be like, you know, it's Jackson be like, good job, Sims. Booker be like, you didn't say that to me. Well, you, <laughs> get, you need to go get a sack. And then next play, we get a sack, you know, strip fumble against Eisenhower. Booker picks it up, yells at the coach, that's what you want? And we was like, okay, then. Love it. So, you know, it's just – this is good competition, but good character kids between them. Yeah, we I always we used to always I like to ask coaches what's the most important position. So I'm gonna skip to this. What do you think the most important position is in a three four defense? And I will just say for us at Ridgepoint, we always felt like as far as which position can elevate your defense from great from good to great, we said nose guard. Right? If nose you've guard. got a stud at the nose, if you can if you got a dude there, you can really ratchet up to the next level. I'm curious your your opinion in your three four defense. Is there a most important position you could pinpoint? I, I, I can't agree. I can't agree on a nose guard, but being in the district that I am, that a lot of people, well, in this generation, a lot of OCs, you know, they want to throw the ball all sure, around. Sure, that's good. They want to throw the ball around. So, you know, my in our defense, the most important person, well, I would have been our outside linebacker, which he could be a hybrid because, right, like I right, said, right, I right. tell him, you know, I tell him to rush the quarterback, play the run, drop into coverage you know if his trips away and he's the outside linebacker he either got to get on top of the roof and play that post or sometimes he has to get in the squat position where I put him on the number one wide receiver on the backside and he has to press that wide receiver so he has to be able and I'm telling him you know if a tight end is on the line you're in the nine technique I'm telling him to come to the line and this kid sometimes is not your biggest kid sometimes yeah so he's coming you know if you're going against a real good tight end which we did at College Park and you're telling a tight end at College Park that's going to Baylor with my kid that's probably six foot 170 against a tight end. You're telling him, I got to get on the line with him. You know, that's a business decision. Sure. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's Those kids right there are the tough kids right there. And like I said, outside linebacker is very important because I'm telling him, you know, I'm telling him to drop. I'm telling him to read the tackle. You know, if it's a pass, I'm telling him to drop in the coverage. So now he got to drop in coverage, play curls or flats. If it's a run, I'm telling him to fit. Yep. If it's trips away, I'm telling him to get on the roof, flat foot, read and backpedal. Yeah. So that, that, you know, and that's very important. That's a very important position, I would say. Yeah. We used to always say the outside linebackers have to be our most athletic dudes. They need yes. our most yes. versatile athletic, you know, but it's, I love because your defense, we have a lot of similarities, but you know, your guys, it sounds like your outside backers is more of a safety backer yeah. hybrid whereas the way we played it they were more of a backer but end kind of we never had them you know so i, I know you're kind of more of like a katie style defense i i love yeah, watching exactly. you guys but we're talking we don't we don't want to get too much x's and o's i know i'll get you started and we'll, we'll never last guy i want to talk about and i love the unsung heroes and i'm gonna stick with the d-line because i'm gonna tell you this dorset singleton impressed me and i i get it i get it with booker and sims and media guys like me and bipe and you know they're the names that are going to show up on twitter and get more but i'm telling you dorset singleton was a dude and he would have been the top guy at many many other schools in this city so i just think he didn't get the the run the publicity and i would always talk about him when i'm broadcasting a game but he was kind of like the fourth beetle you know like he didn't he just didn't quite get the name as the other two you know so just tell, tell, just real, you know, talk, talk to me about Dorset Singleton, what kind of kid he was. Man, Dor, Dorset Singleton, uh, he didn't play my first year there. He didn't play my first year there. And uh, I've seen him in the hallway. I saw him in the hallway a lot. His brother 
but his brother had just went to college the year before playing that same position. Mm. So his brother went to JUCO and uh, I was just like, why are you not playing? He was like, well, I didn't play that last year because he was due, due to an injury. Mm. So um, his brother went to college, played the same position, got him out there. And that upcoming spring in the weight room, he was just incredible. He was just incredible. I didn't know what he was going to be on the field, but in the weight room, he was incredible. Uh, we put him on the field and uh, man, it took, it took a practice. And I still remember that practice, man. Our biggest thing was, like I said, he was, he was the knucklehead of our D line. He was the knucklehead. He was okay, the one. Hey, you got to have one. Yep. He, he was the one like I gotta go upfield. Like, coach, I see the ball. Like, mess, mess <laughs> he goes upfield. Now our linebacker can't fit. Now right. we can't scrape over the top. So, you know, he was the knucklehead. But as as practice went on and August went on, as uh Mady Creek came around third game of the season, man, flat out, I flat out, I thought I had the best D-line in the district. Absolutely. With those three. With those three. Hundred percent. Hundred percent agree. He played well. He played well. He played. He played with them. He played with them. You know, like I said, it was a uh, it was a brotherhood. Yes, they were the, the same age, but for Booker and Elijah to play all their years and he to come in, he was like the little brother to them. You know, yeah. so, you know, and like you said, all the credit went to those two. But uh, Singleton started making plays and uh, he made it just he made it so easy on our defense. So for us to stop the run, we was like, yep. which way are you going to go? Because, yep. you know, they're, they're both they're all three solid. So uh, Singleton was a huge Huge part of defense, huge factor. I and uh, I was blessed to coach him this past year. We had a little bit of that. We had a we had a great player named Cameron Townsend who was very highly recruited, ended up playing for Texas. And so I think some teams would try to run away from him. Mm-hmm. Well, our other outside backer was Justin Jackson, and he wasn't well known, but he kind of like a singleton. He could play, and yes. so he just started making play after play after play. So you really couldn't go one way or the other. And Justin Jackson ended up having a, an All American career at Angelo State. And so hopefully yeah. Dorsett has a similar career because I was really impressed by him. Yeah, let's thanks, you talk right. about Maid Creek. Let, this is a story I've been talking about. So I'm broadcasting a game against Maid Creek coming in there. All I hear about, there's a couple uh, like uh, recruiting service scouts up there in the press box. I'm talking to him like, oh, we're here to see this kid from Maid Creek. You know, he's like, Texas is talking to him. And, you know, so I said, yeah, okay, great. So we're watching the game and he played great. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away, but myself and include, and for sure the guy with me, the, the scout, we left saying like, who is this Corey Huff kid? Yeah, that it, it, he kind of stole the show that night. And I know you you've mentioned you talk about him a lot. Even when we were texting beforehand, you kind of brought his name up a couple of times. He he is just a, a thumper. You know, he is a thumper. And he he's great in pass coverage too. But like his ability to stop the run and fly up in there. I just I love watching Corey Huff play. So and I can I, I just want to give you a platform just to kind of talk about, it seems like you have a special relationship with him. So just talk about what, what Corey Huff means to your defense. Oh man, Corey Huff. He's, uh, he's, he's everything. He's every coach dream of coaching. Like he's a, uh, he's a good kid. Um, he does what he's supposed to do. He works hard. He works really hard. What I mean by work hard, I mean, he puts the work in it for three workouts a day. He'll come to your, your strength and condition camp and he'll work there. And then he'll go play a seven on seven game. Then he'll go do another workout. And uh, that game was just so huge because the thing about Corey is when you play in the secondary, you just want to cover. That's all you want to do and cover. So when I got the Nimitz, um, Corey was a sophomore. Corey was a sophomore. And uh, first thing he told me, he was like, uh, I'm the best player out here. I didn't know who he was, but I see him had the Jones middle school shirt on. And uh, Jones is a big, you know, big feeder to Nimitz high school which is one of the, you know, top middle schools around the area, around the north side area. 
And uh, I saw Jones and I was like, who is this kid? So uh, he worked so much that he hurt his hip. He hurt his hip and missed like the first four games. He missed the first four games. So I put him in against Eisenhower. Uh, I said, Corey, get in. Helmet wasn't buckled. He runs in. He's buckling his helmet. The ball is hike. He's still buckled. He, he just lets the buckle go. Just takes off. Eisenhower does an option. He hits him behind the line scrimmage. I was like, okay. So they throw the ball and, you know, I could see a little, a little limp in his step. And I was like, okay, he's not full healthy. So I really didn't know how to judge him that sophomore year. But um, that summer, that summer, Corey went the uh, huge shout out to Team Ferry, Coach Grant, Coach Levi, those guys right there. They are a big impact on Corey's success because uh, it takes more than us coaches in the schoolhouse, you know, to the parents, to the coaches, you know, the kids that want to be great, that want to be D1, they're going to have to do something outside of school. So, um, you know, Corey went to go get with Team Ferry. Coach Grant has been uh, seven on seven teams. He's been coaching since 2017, one of the top, you know, seven on seven teams around. And uh, he just practices passing coverage, his passing coverage, coverage. Uh, you know, so he started getting looks. He started going to camps. You know, SMU started looking at him because he went to all these camps in the summer. So I knew, like I told him when I met him, your junior year, to all kids, I tell them as a coach, your junior year is your most important year. Mm-hmm. You know, your junior year, it's time for you to know it. You got to, you need you got to know it. So in uh, the defense that we run, which is a Katie style defense from, you know, uh, uh, Gary Joseph, Scott Joseph, that brought it to Coach Slater. They all had it. You know, Joseph and Slater was at Hightower together. Mm-hmm. So that's how I inherited the defense and learned from those three. So that's the, that's the tree it kind of went to because uh, they also ran it at Navarro and then they also ran it at uh, Texas State. So, uh, you know, Corey, that week of that preparation, he was just like, coach, you know, they're going to know my name. You know, they talked about Wilson the whole entire time. And uh, it was good because, like I told you, my wife is the head coach at Mady Creek. Mm-hmm. So now yep. this is her second year. She's telling me about, you know, she just left Nimitz. She's telling me about this kid named Wilson. She's telling me about how he has an offer here and there. You know, he's a fast track guy and he plays the safety position. So it was just big. You know, they talked a lot about him. And uh, Corey main thing was we had, we were 0-2. We lost against a good Tomball Memorial Tomball team who four wide, you know, ran the ball, threw the ball. I mean, threw the ball a lot, just threw, threw, threw. And then in the defense, Corey is the strong safety. So, you know, if it's four wide receiver, he's he has to cover, which that's what he wants to do. Coming into the week of Mady Creek, they had a sniffer back. And for those who don't know what sniffer back is, you know, they lined up, you know, in between the tackle and tight end. They're behind. So uh, we focus on him. So now Corey, he's he's not out there covering no more. He has to play in the box. He has to play eight yards and he has to watch that sniffer because the sniffer going to take one play. Corey was like, oh, man, they're not going to throw the ball. Luckily, the sniffer took him to every play. And Corey just, that was his breaking out party. He got, I'm talking about he had, two to three huge hits behind the, behind the line scrimmage, you know? So that was a good thing about Corey. Like he was able to adapt because like I said, he did not want to, the whole preparation week, he was like, man, I, I'm they when I ain't going to get no passes thrown to me. And, you know, he was just focusing the run game. This week we had him for the run game. You know, he caught an interception. want to say I, he had about, whew, he had like 12, 13 tackles that game. Yep. But uh, He's just uh, – he does what he's supposed to do, man. He's a, he's a great kid. And like I told uh, when I was talking to LSU, he's the best kid I ever coached in my coaching career. Best kid I ever coached by far. Yeah, and you you mentioned that he's a Baylor commit, though. So you said you're going to buy up all the Baylor gear from the team yes, shop. So, yes. hey, shout, shout out. Shout out Sicko, Baylor. Sicko. Now, hey, you mentioned Jones. So I'm pretty uh, – my, my 
I'm guessing Laurentis Butler was his coach at Jones or yes, maybe yes. I don't know if that was before Laurentis got there, but I mean, can you t- Laurentis Butler is the guy that I worked with at Aldine because when I was at Aldine, he was at Stovall. Yes. And now I see that he's at Jones. He's having a lot of success, uh, you know, leading, leading that program. So I'm so happy for him, but what, have you been able to work with, with Laurentis at all and, and interact with him? Oh yes, man, man, Butler. We talked, we talked yeah. on uh, occasions. We talked a lot of times. Every time we see each other, it's, it's a good time. And uh, something I can preach about that and count, like say about Butler is that at the high school level, as us coaches, we're trying to teach them how to become not just better athletes, but grown men. You know, like I tell everybody, you know, they're going to be fathers one day. You know, they're going to be, you know, they're our generation. But I think the good thing about Butler is he he puts that in them in sixth grade. You know, he puts that in them early. Seventh grade, eighth grade, he puts that in them early because, like I said, right now, uh, some of the stuff I was telling Huff, you know, he already knew. So I'm like, okay, then. So he develops the process easy. So, you know, it's not like, you know, most of the time the kids don't grow up to after ninth grade. We got to wait to get that out of them. But he puts that process in them and he uh, he expects a lot out of them. And that's that's what I like. I like about a player is when you expect somebody, uh, expect a lot out of them and you hold them accountable and they meet that. When they meet that, and like I said, that's what Butler, he he stands for what he says. Like if he says something, this is what he wants. So a uh, great coach, man. Uh, like you said, they've been having a lot, him and to him and his staff, they've been having a lot of success over there from football to basketball. And uh, he's he's pushed out a lot of kids to them as high school as well. So um, he's just a great coach. And like I said, everything that the high school coaches are trying to do, he does it at an early stage. So by the time they get to us, they're well prepared. Yeah, shout out Lorenis Butler. You're right, man. One of the best in the business. And cool to see that that connection with the middle school and the high school working together. And, and that's what's best for the kids at the end of the day. So I love hearing yes. that. Okay, so one other thing, this kind of leads into this. When I, when I talked to Coach, after I interviewed Coach Benzan, as soon as we got off, shut off the recording, you know, she told me, you you got to get Westbrooks on your show. And <laughs> she, she didn't really talk about football per se i mean she's like he has just been great for the kids so uh we've already talked some x and o kind of stuff but just like what is it you know you talked a little bit about it which you know uh but can you say anything else about what it what's your philosophy in terms of uh she just said you've really done so much to just elevate the culture and just be great for the kids so can anything you want to say uh from what kendra was saying about your approach to just not just as football player but as as people uh just being a good person just being I'm a football coach, you know, I'm an educator, but at the end of the day, uh, I am, a, um, I'm a father and I'm a husband. So, um, when I, when I, the, the number one thing, when we see the Duncanvilles and see the North shores and we see, it's just not their basketball program, just their football program. It's multiple people. It's a culture thing. And, uh, so as uh, for a young coach that's coming in, I would say that, um, if you're a young football coach coming in, don't just focus on football. Because first, you need to focus on your, you know, your teaching duty because you can't, you can't feed a family with a stipend. But second, you know, get involved with the other teams, which is, the, you know, the girls' basketball team, the boys' baseball team, the boys' basketball team. Know those people because that is so important because, like I said, our cheerleaders at our school at Nimitz High School, they do so much for us. And uh, I know everyone by name. You know, girls' basketball, I know everyone by name. Boys' basketball, I know everyone by name. And uh, just talking to them, you know, because their mindset is just like, okay, I could come to school and I know my basketball coach know me, whatever. But, you know, for me as a football coach, you know, who you got tonight? How many you, how many you going to hit? Oh, they got a good guard over there. Oh, what Eric going to do? And they looking like, oh, okay, coach knows. So just, you know, building that culture, man. Like I said, um, at the end of the day, we are educators, but 
we are these kids look up to us you know so we have to be a role model every day we can't take a day off because these kids gonna look up us because the day that we take a day off they might see something they might go with that so it's just big for me just you know just to just to be that educated just be a good person like I said at the end of the day I'm a father and I'm a husband and that's what I just try to do man I love that coach I mean I I love how you're getting involved these other programs and any uh any ADs that are listening to this what you just said to me that has AD, you got AD written all over you. <laughs> Campus you, athletic coordinator you. written all over you. Might as well stamp it on your forehead. I mean, <laughs> that, that, yes, that, I think that's what a good athletic director does. A good campus athletic coordinator is care about all the sports. And you're showing that already that you're just naturally yeah. gravitating towards that. I love that. I've, some of my best memories at Aldean was in the summer times. I would go play with the girls basketball team in, the, in their summer open gym. I heard, you know, on, I heard on the episode one. That okay, yep. and, I mean, I would, Coach Salazar, who was the head coach, would, would jam me up, like and embarrass me and cross <laughs> me over. But I was out there, you know, yeah. but uh, that was just fun, you know. And I, I saw so I'm with you. And I, I can tell you really have a special place in your heart for uh, girls basketball, just like I do. And, we, and we'll talk about yeah. that at the end of your favorite teams. But uh, that, that's just great, Coach. Yes. Yeah, All right. That's what everybody's been waiting for. I teased this at the beginning of the show. I, I, I've been around a lot of football. I don't think I've ever seen a game go to overtime tied zero to zero. At least yes. I don't recall it. I mean, maybe it's happened, but it's, that's a very rare thing. So just describe, and there's a big rivalry game against MacArthur. Just describe this game that you ended up winning in overtime three to zero. You got the shutout in an overtime game. That ain't easy to do. So tell us about it. It's not easy to do. Coming off of, uh, um, starting off 0-3. So, you know, coming into you have goals. You know, you have Coles. We came into, you know, wanted to win preseason, you know, wanted to go undefeated, but mainly wanted to go to the playoffs. And uh, the biggest thing, I, I came home and talked to my wife all the time. I'm like, okay, we lose to Mady Creek. And that was a heartbreaker because we lose 7-11. to 11. <laughs> So we lose 7-11 with Mady Creek scoring on a fourth down play with like a, a minute left in the game, like a minute left in the game. So we give up a first touchdown then, fourth quarter. So we get a bye week and – uh. Coming off, it's, it's just like, you know, playoffs, is, that's that's the next goal. Like, playoffs, we have to have it. You know, kids, when they do goals, sometimes, you know, if they don't reach those goals, they know that, okay, I got another year. But us coaches, you know, that stays on us because, you know, the fans, you know, the other admin, you know, somebody's going to, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, like, it was just one of those attitudes. And uh, shout out to MacArthur because, like you said, they played, they played great. They played great. But it was just one of those attitudes that, we, we, we weren't going to lose. I never understood that attitude, but that was the attitude we had. And it was, I can honestly say it was the best game I've ever coached. It was so fun because like, I would look up and I'd be like defense. And, and it was like, come on. Like, it was just fun. Like I like, if we could have played on the field all the time, that's, that's what we wanted. Like the kids were just happy. You know, they were just like, when it was time for them to get back on the field, they were okay. So, uh, it was huge. And we knew for us to go to playoffs, you know, we was in a, we was in a standpoint that like, okay, this is the first district game. Okay. We're 0 and three, but that's canceled. This is zero, zero. It's time to get to the playoffs and Matt Garth is in the way. And uh, it got real scary because our quarterback went down. So we lose Braden. And um, now we don't have a, a right. quarterback because, you know, we don't have a backup quarterback. So we go into, you know, the wildcat package with our running back Jojo and then we lose Jojo so now it's just like, okay, JoJo had to go to the hospital with stitches. And now it's just like, okay, what are we going to do? And the first test was when our defense, when our defense stood, when our defense stood behind us being 0-3. That was the first test. 
But the second test was when we lost both of those guys, the defense never, it was buckle up ready. They was like, coach, we're okay. We're okay. I'm like, are we really about to win this game off defense? Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, are we really about to win this dang game off defense? The time is getting low. You know, Mack off the line up for a field goal. And then I look up, we're in overtime. So now I'm just like, all right, you know, at least I know we got the ball inside the ends. Okay, now now we have a good kicker. So now I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. First play, you know, MacArthur throws it. Uh, you know, we tell we tell our strong safety, you know, he was uh he was he was free, you know, which was Corey Huff. Looked at the tackle, you know, if it's a pass block, Corey, what do you do? Get to the post. If you could go back, if anybody could go back and watch the film before we played Made Creek, that fourth down and 12 where they threw the ball to Kelly, the tight, the tackle pass block, Corey should have got to the post. And when he didn't get to the post, he was like, it'll never happen again. Yep. Came back the next week, tackle, pass block, Corey, get to the post, interception, first play in overtime. So it was just, okay. you know, yep. the, the look, the little things, man. But that was the best game I've ever coached by far in my life. That was something else, coach. Like I said, I never seen nothing like it. Yes. You know, and you, you've listened to a lot of these podcasts. A lot of times we, we've met coaches with very strong, supportive, significant others. And I didn't realize talking to you beforehand that your wife was a coach. I learned that, you know, kind of talking to you today. Yes. She's the head girls basketball coach at Maid Creek. Talk yes. to us about, just talk about what's that like having a coach as a spouse? Oh man. It's uh, like, I tell everybody um, it's ESPN every day. ESPN <laughs> one, it. two, three, you know, we're always trying to work on our craft. We challenge each other to get better. Um, it's something we do on summer times. You know, we'll we'll figure out what can we do to get better. So, you know, when uh, one summer she was like, I just want to, you know, learn how to just draw up a play real quick. So, you know, we'll watch a basketball game and I'll tell her five seconds ball on the sideline and she'll have the board, draw up a play, you know, just off the hip, draw up a play. And then, you know, some offseason we like, OK, this offseason during the summer while we're out. We're just going to read the rule book. We're going to learn the rule book. So we challenge each other every day. And, you know, and uh, the crazy thing is that nobody knew. Like I said, I went to I went into school for education. But when I graduated from ETB, I was actually a supervisor in the oil field. <laughs> so I was a supervisor in the oil field. And the hours were just crazy hours. It was just so many crazy hours. So uh, it was like a coming to America scene where he just, spin the globe and pick i flipped a coin to see if i was gonna move to dallas or houston and i moved oh, to houston wow. yeah so it land on heads moved to houston so i moved to houston and uh i was like okay it's time to use the degree so i started filling out uh applications i did an interview with t middle school first and then i did it with nimitz ninth grade and when i did those interviews i got a call from hr saying this is the first time that you got two job acceptance which job do you want Oh, wow. So mind you, uh, I'm like, wow. So I got a job. So uh, that's when I went into Nimitz at uh, the ninth grade center. And that was uh, six years ago. Went into Nimitz ninth grade center, met Coach Slater, sent the email asking, could I volunteer? Volunteer my whole first year. So I volunteered my first year at Nimitz. As I'm volunteering my first year at Nimitz, uh, I met uh, Christy Hubbard, who is my wife now, which is Christy Westbrook. I met her as the head basketball coach at the high school when I was working at the freshman center. Wow. And Coach Slater used to be like, oh, she's my right-hand lady. You know, yeah. she helps me out. She was already doing athletic coordinator stuff, and she was the head basketball coach. So uh, she was the one that I listened when, I, like I said, Coach O, I, he, 
I felt the same way. Like, what do I do? Like, I didn't know what to do. They was like, you got to have a certification. So like he said that on his episode, like I didn't know what to do, but you know, it was good because she helped me out with everything. She told me what to do. She was like, okay, you got to go through this certification. Okay. You'll be a paraprofessional here, you know, do this and just put me in the right path. And, uh, you know, when I got there, like I said, she was a head coach. I used to go to all her games, watch her be success as I was, when I had left Nimitz from that first volunteer year, I became a coach at Lutheran South Academy. Okay. I, yeah. I coached junior high, coach junior high. So I'm leaving ninth grade volunteer and I don't have a certification yet. I'm working through that process. So then I leave and I become um, a coach at the ninth grade. I mean, at the junior high, I'm coaching seventh and eighth grade at Lutheran South Academy. The next year comes up, the head coach was like, Coach Justice from Nebraska was like, Coach, we love you. We want you to come coach on the high school level. So now I'm code DC. I'm coaching over there with Lutheran South. Uh, I have my certification now. And my wife done left, got a promotion to Mady Creek. And I get a call from Coach Slater. I want you to come back. And then I end up back at Nimitz. So uh, it's just crazy. Like I said, it's just, it's all sports, man. It's all sports. But now that we have a daughter, now it's all PJ Mask and Cocomelon. So we we find times to, you know, the to, to split those. Oh, I can't wait to follow her career. To have yeah, two coaches. Yeah. She's uh, yeah, she's gonna be fundamentally sound, playing hard, encouraging your teammates. Oh, yes. Man, oh, that's, that's yes. man yes, I didn't sir. know all that, coach. Like, that's great. Like, again, for yes, people sir. listening. Yeah, yeah, you knew you wanted to be a coach from a young age, but it's not like it just your path was instantly to the top. You volunteered. Yes. You did the you did the dirty work without even getting any any reward for it, you know, financially, because you knew you wanted right. to do it. And so that's I hope that people listening realize like bet on yourself, right? Bet on yes. yourself to show up right. and practice and volunteer and, and impress the coaches. And you must have done that, caught Slater's eye. He called you back, you know. Yes, so right. that's great. And the way that you and your wife met, I think that's awesome. Yes. That, that, that's yeah. a very, very cool story. Yes, sir. All right. So we're kind of coming here towards the end. You know, I, I, I started this, I started this podcast because coaches are my heroes, exact same thing you said, you know, yes, coaches are my heroes growing up as well. Sometimes I think there's a lot of great parents out there, but sometimes, you know, I, I, I do see stuff where I'm just, I see parents kind of focus on some of the wrong things, you know? So I want these kids to enjoy their athletic experience. What advice if there's parents, and I hope parents are listening to this podcast for a parent, how can they best, how can they give their child the best athletic experience as a, that they possibly can what advice would you give to parents uh that's a good one the, the advice i would give to parents is uh uh stay i would i would get get involved with the kids off-season decision and what i mean by that is um you know my mother she was big on it yes it's summertime but when she woke up from work what were you going to do like are you going to come are you going to come to work with me or is a coach picking you up or you know so get involved with that. And, and a big thing about that is parents call us, call us, talk to us, ask them what you could do. Like we love to accept calls more than playing time calls. You see what I'm saying? We love to accept those calls. And that's the big thing because at this time, some kids, you know, they, they are not going to put the work in sometimes, but if you just push them, they will. Like if nobody say nothing to me, if I'm a parent, I'm waking up and I'm going to work and it's summertime and my child is in their sleep. If you don't say nothing to him, he probably going to sleep and get on a video game or something. So that's for you to get in, you know, get involved. You talk to the coach. Okay. What you doing? Because many people, since I've been in Texas, many people do it. The sack camp where it's, it's like you still in school. That sack camps goes from seven to four. It goes from seven to four. So they should be doing some type of activity. 
And if you could get him in that, get him with a trainer, get him 707. If it's basketball, get him to AAU. But keep your child active, man, because when when they come back in August, it's you know, it's a go. It's a go. And if you haven't been working out or nothing, you drop on the depth chart or you get hurt, that right there gets scarred kid for life. You see what I'm saying? Now, if he was active the whole summer, if he was doing this right there, he wouldn't have to go through that. But since he didn't play this whole time, now he can't practice. He pulled hamstring, you know, so just get it active with the decisions in their offseason. All right, coach. I know you listen to all the episodes, so you know what's coming next. We're about to play start bench cut. And so yes, I don't sir. even need to explain to you how this works for people listening in. I'm asking him, he's the coach. I'm going to give him three players. He's got to start one. He's got to bench one. And he's got to cut one. So basically he's ranking them one, two, three for me. Coach, you said your favorite team were the Saints. I'm repping my Willie Rofe jersey here, the all-time. I love it. I love it. I, I, you, you may not know by looking at me, but I was an O-lineman. Uh, <laughs> I've trimmed down since my playing days. But, yeah, I was a tackle. Yes, I was. Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, so Willie Rofe is my dude. I, I, I love Willie. I know he's from Louisiana okay. originally. But uh, so you said, you said Saints. Of course, you said LSU football. You said South Carolina girls basketball. Shout out Don Staley. Shout out national champs, man. They, absolutely. South Carolina. And I didn't realize, like, you you are really – you know quite a bit about women's basketball. So I'm going to add – I'm going to add – this was not in our show notes. I'm going to add a, a start bench cut women's basketball edition, so get ready for that. Gotcha. And you all said Lakers. I wasn't feeling you on that one quite as much, but I respect <laughs> it. So you're, you're a Lakers guy. And, uh, and then you said now you're going to – you're Baylor football with the Corey Huff commitment. So let's, let's go ahead and start. So I'm going to start with uh, a women's basketball question. Start oh. bench cut. Okay. Let's go – okay, so you're, you're a Louisiana guy. Let's go Simone Augustus. Mm-hmm. She's from Baton Rouge, played at LSU. She grew up with uh, Glenn Big Baby Davis. All right. Mm-hmm. So I actually, um, Knuckleheads podcast, what inspired my podcast, right? So I, I've heard her interview on Knuckleheads. So I, I, I know quite a bit about Simone Augustus. So we got her. And then we got Diana Taurasi, who is still, you know, she's still going. And a lot of people consider her a goat. So I want her in that conversation. And I'm going H-Town edition on this one. My girl, Cynthia Cooper. Ooh. Who would have, if only WNBA would have started when she wasn't nearing the end of her career, she was killing it in Italy, you know, for a good decade before that. Okay. So give me a start bench cut, Simone Augustus, Diana Taurasi, Cynthia Cooper. Oh man. Cynthia Cooper went to USC too, huh? That's right. Cynthia Cooper. So I watched a documentary with Cheryl Miller. And so I got a little, I got a, you know, me, me and my wife watched that and I got, I got a, a, a head before they saw her in the WNBA. So Cynthia Cooper was, she was tough, but I know, you know, Diane Tarazi is, and uh, Augusta, that's home, that's home. But uh, I would have to, I would have to start Cynthia Cooper. I yep. have to start Cynthia Cooper. Uh, Diane Tarazi, I remember the UConn when she was doing, I have to bench Diane Tarazi and it sucks, but the hometown, but I have to cut, I have to cut Augusta. Have you may not that, be welcome back one. in Leesville, coach. You may not be able to go back there. That's you just a hard Simone one, Augustus. <laughs> that I know, but that was a hard one. I, yeah. yeah, that was a real hard one. Because Cynthia Cooper, like I said, if she like was I a said, walking bucket, a lot of people know her from the WNBA. But if you was to watch her at USC and she played with to me Cheryl Miller, which was one of the best ever. You know, if you was to watch that right there. Please go watch that documentary. It's on HBO. I will you find watch that. that documentary, you'll see it. Yes. All right. I gave you a tough one out the gate. Let's keep it going. So I'm going to go Drew Brees because I know you're a big Saints fan. You're an LSU guy. So I'm going to say Joe Burrow. And again, this, everything that I ask in this, we're just talking at their prime, like at their yes. very best for all these questions. Drew Brees, Joe Burrow. And then really just about three hours outside of your hometown in White House, Texas, 
you have Patrick Mahomes, who a lot of people think is a top quarterback in the NFL. So I'm going to go start bench cut, Drew Brees, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. Start bench cut. That's that that right there. Starter, without a doubt. Starter, without a doubt, Drew Brees. Drew Brees is uh, – uh, He's 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 everything to Louisiana. He's everything to football. He's uh like I said, from character to leadership to you know, in his prime, he was just you know a guy that small, that height, you know that they said he couldn't do it, but he did it. Uh, him winning that ring for us was it brought it brought the state, the city so close because you know we was the paper bag at one time. Mm-hmm. We put paper bags on our face. The so ain'ts, Drew Brees, right? The ain'ts. <laughs> yes, yes. So Drew Brees by far, by far, start. Uh, the second one, uh, I have to um, bench Patrick Mahomes. He's uh, great. He's great. Uh, like you said, he's at White House. Um, I watched him play when I was going to college in Longview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Marshall, Texas at ETBU. I watched him play in the East Texas in high school. And uh, I have to cut Joe Burrow, man, even though he brought us a chance. You know, he's not at his peak yet. You have not seen yeah. the best of Joe Burrow yet. Yeah, That's fair. I have That's not. Very fair. I have not. That's very fair. So you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely let you get off of that one without getting run out of Louisiana. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Because yeah, you're right. That's a good point there. Now, uh, I know you're a defensive guy, so you got to lock people down. So I'm going to give you an LSU receiver edition. Start bench cut. OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Uh, and when I think of wide receivers, it's all when I as a as a as a as a coordinator, as a defense coordinator, as a defensive guy. Thinking about wide receivers, I always got to think about who's their quarterback. Like that's big. I got like you. wide receiver. So if I'm thinking right now, I have to start Odell with staff. I, I start Odell. Again, it's at their prime, right? He did have that and always he had that yeah. awesome season, right? So we're counting that season. That's what we're looking at. Oh, oh, prime. Oh, yeah. Prime. We're talking, oh, yeah. Pro- we're talking at their best, at their very hot, at their biggest powers. So you go you know, OBJ, you're gonna start. I'm gonna start OBJ. I'm a bench Jamar Chase, and I'm a ooh Chase had a good year this year. And Jefferson had one last year, but man, I yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a bench Chase. All right, and I'm a, uh, I'm gonna have to cut Jefferson. Oh man, I'm I'm giving you all the hard questions today. And the last yeah. one, you're a Lakers guy, so I gotta ask you, Michael or LeBron? But really, or maybe I should actually you're late. I mean, I have or Kobe. <laughs> so Kobe, you're gonna go Kobe. Kobe. Kobe's Kobe 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 Kobe's Kobe's the reason I became a Lakers fan like okay. if Kobe when he got drafted to the Charlotte Horn if he would have stayed at Charlotte I would have been a Charlotte fan I remember watching Kobe I was hearing the talk about him from high school but it was a tv show that used to always come on Moesha and he yep. was dating Brandy at the time and when I saw him then I was like that's who I'm gonna like so before I can't count myself with the the late show championships or nothing because but I knew how good Kobe was for him to get drafted by the Lakers and you moved Eddie Jones out of LA because yep. Eddie Jones was real good. He was nice. <laughs> he was real People good. People don't know. People Nick don't. Yep. So go, like, them boys were good. Ben Exel and Jones. Yep. I was about to do a start bench cut with those guys. But yes. I can tell you're a true fan because, yeah, they were nice. Yes, they were nice. So every, it, it, was, it was to me wherever Kobe was going to go. And uh, when he went to the Lakers, that was it for me. Well, let's, let's finish it off, though. Okay, so you're going to start Kobe, but, like, bench and cut between MJ and LeBron. What are you doing? Oh, uh, bench MJ. Bench MJ. I got to cut LeBron. I got to okay. cut LeBron. So, so you're a Jordan over, over LeBron guy. Yes. Yes, okay. I am. I am. 
Oh, man, Coach, this was so much fun. Oh, it had been an honor and so much fun to chop it up with you today. Please take a moment to give us a five-star review. That drives us up the charts so more people can hear the stories from coaches making a difference. Right now, like I said, we've, we've gotten a lot of listens, but it's, it's, more, it's mainly the you guys have such a big circle. All your friends and family are listening, which is great, but I, I really want, I want this to reach people that don't even know who we are, right, other states and other countries. So please give that five-star review. That'll help people find us. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo for all the latest team player podcast updates. You, I, I saw you followed me as soon as right after we first talked to you, so I appreciate that, Coach Westbrooks. Yes, uh, join the Team Player Revolution by sharing stories about coaches that influence your lives. You can email us at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We might read your story at the end of the show, or maybe your story will inspire a new episode of the show. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast provided by two of my form, former players that I love and so proud of. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. If you need graphic design work, hit me up, teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. I'll get you connected. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Big thanks again to our guest, Earl Westbrooks. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 